In the past three years, we've seen more associations non-renewed for brush exposure than ever before. If you are a bad risk, then they're not going to offer you coverage. You're looking at about $100 per unit per month increase in their assessments just to cover that delta. They go from 60000 to $1.2 million, and that's ridiculous. It's absolutely crazy. So where do you see this going in the future? What's going to happen with insurance and wildfires? Most people are not equipped to understand the seemingly endless facets of an HOA. That's why we're here, to help you become uncommonly prepared to serve your HOA. Whether you're a board member or a manager, join us in the Uncommon Area. Welcome to the Uncommon Area. I am Matthew Holbrook, and today's episode is going to be all about HOA insurance. And in particular, um, we're going to be kind of zeroing in on insurance for communities that are at risk of wildfires, but we'll be covering a few things more broadly as well. And uh, joining us today is Ryan Gazelle, Vice President of Klein Agency or Klein Hello. Insurance Agency. You got it. And uh, so glad to uh, to have you joining us. And yeah. um, the question I kind of just wanted to throw at you right out of the gate is um, in your experience for um, board members and HOA managers that you come across, when they think about homeowners association and insurance, what is the one thing that you wish that they knew that oftentimes maybe they don't know or don't know well enough? That's a great question. First off, thanks for having me here. Uh, probably the thing that struck me right off the bat when you asked is that insurance is not a right. Okay, the, the carriers are not obligated to offer you insurance. They are for-profit companies. They need to turn a profit. They have shareholders to answer to. They have to remain profitable in order to stay in business. So if you are a bad risk, then they're not going to offer you coverage, and you can't force them to offer you coverage. You need to maintain and and remain a good risk. So there's there, there's I've, I've seen this as well. There's board members or associations mm -hmm. that get kind of indignant if a carrier sure. drops them or turns them down, or um, they feel like th that there should be some kind of obligation to provide Absolutely. Coverage. Well, right now we're seeing it with the wildfires. You know, right. I've had State Farm for 20 years. Now all of a sudden they're right. not offering me coverage or whoever the carrier is. And yes, they, they are for-profit companies. If wildfire exposed brush areas in California are not profitable, they're not going to offer coverage anymore because otherwise they'll go out of business. The same thing though holds true for um, insurance carrier recommendations. If they go out and they're making recommendations, they're saying, hey, this area of the concrete needs to be ground down. This is a trip and fall hazard. That's, that's protecting their own pocketbook, yes, but it's also protecting the association because in their experience, they've had claims where if A, B, C, or D weren't performed, or weren't done properly, that's what led to the claim. So they're going to nip those in the bud as soon as they can to try to help you and protect them. Right. So uh, part of that for an association is um, that they should be thinking in terms of how do we make ourselves attractive and profitable for an insurance carrier? Absolutely. And now more than ever. Right. I mean, we saw yeah. what happened to Surfside uh, in yep. Florida. You know, there's an example of a, a community that, that they made a lot of mistakes, but they weren't 
They weren't funding their reserves. They weren't performing the work that experts were saying, yes, you have to do this. This is dangerous. You need to do this. So bring that back to our communities here in California. The same thing. If a carrier says, hey, you got to do this, or even if just you're walking the property and you say, hey, that looks a little suspicious. Let me talk to one of our experts and get their input on it. And they say, yes, you need to address this. Do so. Make yourself a, a more attractive risk. Yeah. I think that would be a mindset that uh, I think you're right. Probably a lot of managers and board members don't think in those terms. Right. And uh, I think it would be just a helpful shift in thinking to say, it, how, it, how do we make ourselves attractive in this yes. way? Yes. You run a business. Yeah. Uh, you know, I run yeah. a business. That's the great. business has to remain profitable. And yes, we want to help everybody, but we can't help absolutely everybody if you won't help yourselves. You know, getting back to the wildfire thing, you know, communities should be looking at um, minimizing their own risk. You know, before the carrier comes out and says, hey, this tree is too close to the property, have your arborist look at that property. Even if it's not going to affect your insurance premiums, you still want to protect the community. And sure. uh, making small changes like um, they have smaller filters for the eve vents or automatic uh, vents that will suddenly shut if there's a wildfire or smoke uh, that's detected. Things like that, taking proactive steps, adding fire sprinklers. If you're on a hillside, I've got a community and they're on the top of the hillside and they added their own wildfire sprinklers and it's monitored by a program 24-7 where if they notify them that, oh, there's a there's a wildfire in the area, those sprinklers go on. They wet down everything. So how do those types of activities, So um, an association takes positive steps to mm -hmm. do things to mitigate their risk. How does that translate to the carrier? The carrier is not coming out and doing a property inspection sure. or anything like that. So what do managers and board members need to be thinking about as to how do they translate the, the good things that they're doing so mm -hmm. that it actually affects their insurability and their rates? Great question. And right now, in the past three years, we've seen more associations non-renewed for brush exposure than ever before. So there's more competition in the industry. The preferred carriers say, no, we don't want this. We're not going to touch this because they can't adjust their rates to accommodate the risk that they're taking on. So all of those insureds are going to have to now try to go to the same excess and surplus lines carriers, you know, say 20, 25 carriers total that would be willing to offer that coverage. You're up against everybody else. We need to tell a story. We need to make an argument. So that would be helping us tell the story of why you are a better risk for them to take on than this other neighbor association. And so that that um, those kind of story points need to be mm -hmm. provided to somebody like you or to whoever is representing the right. association to the carriers so that they are armed with that information. Exactly. The underwriter needs to be able to go back and tell a story to their, their boss and say, this is why I think this is a good risk. This is why I'm rating it like this and hopefully more competitively than uh, somebody else. And this is why I feel confident and safe in it. They have to back up the 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 leap that they're taking with data. How often do you think it happens that an association has um, key points to their story that never get communicated, never make its way all the way to the to the um, carrier, even to the underwriter? I think it happens too often. It takes usually a board member that's very involved. Um, in some cases, it's the, it's the manager, but you know the managers for the most part are portfolio managers. They have a, a multitude of properties. They might not remember everything. So it oftentimes takes a board member who is very involved, who cares and is aware of what they've done 
to lay it out in bullet points. Like, look, this is what we've done. And that holds true uh, for communities with a lot of losses as well. Right now we're seeing more so than ever all of these associations that were built in the 60s and 70s that never put reserve items for uh, the plumbing in their reserve study. They never reserved for it. All those, all of a sudden that, that plumbing infrastructure is 60 years old and they can't afford to replace it. So you've had all these water losses. You got to tell a story, make an argument of why you are a good risk. So how does a, uh, a manager or a board member in one of these communities, how do they know even what to focus on specifically for their community to make themselves a better risk? Is there someone they can go to or somebody they can come and give feedback and say, these are the types of things that you should do, or this, this would really help in, in, in uh, creating your story? Rely on the, on the experts. You know, if you're having plumbing issues, defer to your, your plumber. You know, get, get recommendations from multiple plumbers. What can we do better? How can we make ourselves a better risk? If you've got, uh, you had a wildfire uh, or a, a fire of any kind, you know, talk to the fire professionals. What can we do to make ourselves more protected? Uh, talk to your pool guy. Talk to all of the experts that service your community. Yeah. So you've brought up wildfires. Um, what is it that uh, that we need to know about what's happening with regard to uh, insurance and wildfires these There's days? There's so much. There's so much <laughs> you need to know about wildfires. So right now, obviously, everybody is concerned about it. It's a huge concern for the carriers. You know, the carriers don't want to write the coverage. The the board members, some of these folks, are these unit owners are being hit with premiums that are 3,000 times what it was before because the risk is just that much greater. I mean, this year, how hot is it? It's been the hottest that I can remember, uh, the driest that I can remember. In the past five years, eight of the top 10 costliest wildfires in California have occurred. In the past five years, it's not getting better. It's getting worse. Used to be you'd have, uh, you know, a year or two of bad losses, and then it would slow down and things would get better. But right now it's not. We have a number of obstacles. You know, the, the Department of Insurance, the California Department of Insurance needs to do some work and they're working on it. Uh, CAI has CLAC, the California Legislative Action Community, and they've got an insurance task force that has been meeting with, C, uh, with uh, the Department of Insurance, trying to get them to understand what the obstacles are. The main one being that there's no accepted definition of wildfire. So, the carriers don't feel comfortable putting an exclusion for wildfire on their policy because they might have it in their policy, but there's no legal definition. We need the legislature, the DOI, somebody to to pass a, an accepted definition of wildfire so that these carriers can start excluding it. So what you're really saying is since they don't have a clear way of mm -hmm. uh, writing that as an exclusion, then they might just bail on wanting to write the policy altogether. Absolutely. Uh, the preferred carriers, which is who you want to have coverage with, that's, you know, your State Farm, Travelers, Farmers, uh, DB, Philadelphia, these main carriers, they're not going to offer coverage because it's too risky. So they've got these brush maps that give them a score. Now, these, these brush maps, this risk software, it's old. It's not innovative. It's not taking into consideration a whole bunch of new data. But what they're doing is they've got that score. If it gives you a score between... 40 and 100 and the carrier says our guidelines are 39 and under that underwriter is not going to take a, a chance on it 
even if it's something like out in Palm Springs. You know, you go out to Palm Springs, you look on the bird's eye view on Google Earth, you see brown everywhere. It looks like it's brush. That's not brown. That's not brush. That is dirt. That's what that brown is. There's nothing to burn there unless you go a mile up on that gondola thing. You know, so we need to adjust the models. And right now they're not there. So those carriers are not going to take a look. It's only the access and surplus lines carriers that are willing to do that. So you're seeing right now a lot of carriers are dropping coverage for associations that maybe they've previously covered. Absolutely. And so what does an association do in that case? The first thing you need to do is find a broker that specializes in common interest developments. Not all of them do. Uh, If they do, then they're going to know which markets to go to. Uh, and you don't want to have multiple brokers working on the same risk. If you've got a broker that specializes in HOAs, they know what they're doing. They know the carriers to hit. They're doing a good job. If you have somebody else that's trying to work on it at the same time, they're going to be bumping heads, running sure. into each other. And you know this, this broker might have these five carriers blocked, and this broker has these 10 carriers. But you want one broker to be able to go to all 15, 20 carriers and negotiate back sure. and forth. Because a lot of times we're going to have, okay, carrier A is offering 5 million, carrier B is going to come in with the next two and a half million, and C, two and a half after that. We've got to piece it together like a, a giant puzzle. So if at the end of that process, you, you've got a quote from this broker and you say, okay, it's astronomical, and then you want to give somebody else a shot, give somebody else a shot. I would not recommend signing a broker of record letter because that means that uh, all the work that that first broker has done is out the window. They've been fired. Now that other broker has to start over. If that other broker needs a broker of record letter, it's only because the markets they're going to have already been approached by the first broker. So trust your broker. If you have a broker that you like, trust in them. Uh, You're not going to get quotes 30 days out like we used to. That was wonderful. That's what we did. We understood that. The market, the carriers are so inundated with submissions, they just can't do it. Even so if what you is sent an, what, it What's in, the expectation then today? I would say three weeks, two weeks, two to three weeks. So try to set your board meetings for within that time. And yes, follow up with the broker. The squeaky wheel is, is obviously going to get the oil. That's great. And the broker is following up with those markets, but they've got a, a stack of files on their desk and they're just hitting the first ones uh, that are coming up for renewal. So even if you sent it in th- three months ago, they're going to put that on the back burner because they've got a hundred other risks that are coming up for renewal before that. So when it comes to the timing, one, one of the things that I'm hearing you right now uh, say is that there has to be um, a very um, sharp awareness of the timing of your renewal and your board meeting date coming yes. up before that, because it sounds very possible that you could have a board meeting and not have a quote yes. and then you have the renewal and you're going to have to call an emergency meeting. Yes. And the other thing is that right now, you know, this is a, this is a, a seller's market. It's not the buyer's market. So like we talked about having to tell a story and convince that underwriter, if we are bothering the underwriters constantly and say, Hey, 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 they're, they're just as likely to just say, you know what? You're not worth my time. I've got other people that aren't bothering me. I'm going to work on their account. So um, for an association that does get dropped by their carrier because of wildfire fire risk, um, how would you paint their expectations um, as far as what they, they're going to be going to secondary markets so they're looking at mm-hmm. alternatives. Right. What, what should they expect will happen with their premium? You should expect to pay a lot more. 
for your premium. If you're, you know, in the $60,000, $70,000 range of, of for uh, the preferred markets, expect to pay four or $500,000 in premium. So you're talking like five times more. Way more, yes. Five times, if you're lucky, I've seen communities where it's 10 times more. You know, they go from, or 20, they go from 60,000 to 1.2 million. And that's ridiculous. It's absolutely crazy, but it's going to take a long time for the legislature, for the DOI, the Department of Insurance, to make these changes slowly. So just to, to do the, the math really quickly, mm-hmm. like if, if you have an association that's paying $60,000 a year um, for their premiums, there's 300 units in the community, and they jump to 400000 mm-hmm. then you're looking at about $100 per unit per month increase in their assessments just to cover that delta. Yep. So, um, which is a huge increase, obviously. Absolutely. And so we're talking very, very significant dollars that boards need to be prepared mm-hmm. to, to deal with, with these types of increases. Absolutely. And, and one of the things that, you know, one of the questions we get a lot from these board members, they're going, we're a mile away from the brush zone. Like we're, we're nowhere near the hills. But what we saw in the Thomas fire, in the uh, multiple fires now, we've seen that embers just float through the air. You know, it does. If that if that fire is generating so much heat, it's creating its own wind. Those embers can float multiple miles away and ignite a community that's two miles away from the brush zone. They're looking at wind patterns too. It's not just are you going to burn down? Is the smoke going to go into your community? Because smoke damage can be significantly expensive. So yeah, that five hundred thousand dollar premium might be really really high and really tough for them to swallow. But one single fire. Smoke damage could cost you a million dollars to repaint that whole building. Right, right. So there's a lot to uh, to consider on that. Now, for associations that might be in these wildfire zones, we talked about earlier about uh, taking steps to mitigate risk. Mm-hmm. Um, if uh, if associations were to um, let's say bring out a, uh, a a fire inspector or a fire expert mm-hmm. who comes out gives them Advice gives them input as to what they can do to mitigate their risk as much as possible. They can detail all of that out, provide that to their broker who can um, make that case to the underwriter. And Mm -hmm. um, that might help offset some of that increase a little bit. It's not likely to have an effect on the premium, but it is more likely to help them get quoted. So they might expand the pool of carriers more care exactly them. more carriers might be willing to look at the risk because of the, because of the mitigation factors and might that because there might be a bigger pool potentially might affect the premium Absolutely. a little bit as well as it's going to protect your community you know ideally nobody wants to see the fire we don't want to see a wildfire we don't want sure. to see an earthquake so right. just protecting the community that should give them peace of mind and be worth the while yeah. so where do you see this going in the future what's going to happen with insurance and wildfires great question I think once the legislature passes a definition of wildfire and that's commonly agreed upon and the carriers feel comfortable, I think we're going to see the preferred carriers start to exclude that. And then the wildfire insurance is going to be treated like the catastrophe that it is. It's going to be catastrophe insurance like the earthquake coverage, like your flood coverage. So you'll see, you know, policies right now that the earthquake carriers are offering. It's actually written on a DIC form, difference in conditions, not just earthquake only. So they can offer earthquake and flood. So they might offer wildfire with a percentage deductible. So, 
now you know you've got a 10% earthquake deductible, 2% uh, flood deductible, and then maybe a 5% wildfire deductible. And then the individual unit owners are going to have to get their own wildfire loss assessment insurance, just like you get earthquake loss assessment. That's really the only feasible way forward, I think, because you know these associations can't keep affording $800,000 with maybe a $100,000 deductible, just a flat deductible, those $10,000 water damage losses are not going to be anywhere near that $100,000 or $50,000 deductible that we're seeing. So the preferred carriers can offer those different deductibles that earthquake or the excess and surplus lines carriers, their deductibles are going to be much higher. Yeah. Well, there's going to be a lot of associations that are in for a bit of a shock as far as what these costs are going to if be for If they're them. not already aware of it, then yeah. they've been living in a hole. Yeah. <laughs> because we're, we're I want to say we're towards the tail end of it. You know, the preferred, the private brokers, the, the private carriers rather, that the independent brokers had, the independent markets, they did that years ago. Maybe three years ago, they started non-renewing. Then everybody went to Farmers and State Farm. Farmers is now getting off of it. So we're starting to get to that point where most of the carriers that were going to issue non-renewal notices have already issued them. Uh, If you are near a brush zone and you haven't received one in the last three years, you might be okay. Maybe the wind patterns in your area until they adjust the modeling systems, uh, you might be okay, but plan for the worst. So how far away would you say we are from that future scenario where there's a a definition for uh, wildfire, um, carriers can exclude that, and we move into kind of treating wildfires like earthquake insurance? If I had to guess, I'd say three to four years uh, because the Department of Insurance moves very slowly. Uh, We're in an election year right now, so nothing will be done. Um, And then it's going to take the private insurers time to adapt their policy forms, start offering different, uh, because in order for the preferred carriers to offer different policy forms and make any changes, they have to get approval from the Department of Insurance, which usually takes a year or two. And if you've got all these carriers trying to do it at the same time, it's going to take some time. Yeah. Well, is there anything else that board members or managers should know on the subject of wildfires and insurance? Oh, uh, on the subject of insurance, one last thing I'll note is that I would expect liability insurance rates to go up in the next year or two. We've already seen it with commercial umbrella liability insurance, which is the excess liability over top of the general liability and the directors and officers coverage. Because of COVID, we've seen so many claims, just a massive influx. Everybody's working at home. You see Joe across the way doing some things you don't like anymore. You're going to talk to the board. You now hear Susie upstairs stomping around in her high heels all day. Didn't bother you before. You weren't at home, but now you are. So the claims have skyrocketed. The judgments that we're seeing are significantly higher than they ever were before. So I'd start to budget higher for your liability insurance as well. Not good news, but good to know. Yes. Um, I'm sure that will be be helpful. Well, Ryan, I thank you so much for uh, for joining us. Super helpful information. And uh, would uh, hope that this has been helpful for anyone watching or listening to this episode and would encourage you to check out other episodes of The Uncommon Area. 